Hello and welcome back to the Animal Friendly Podcast. This episode comes to you from the coast, so join me by the sea as we learn all about our wonderful marine mammals. So here we are with Chibelle Regan and with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. So would you like to tell us a bit about what is the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group? Yes, so the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group is the leading environmental NGO, so non-governmental organisation in Ireland. And we advocate for the better understanding of cetaceans. So cetaceans are whales and dolphins and porpoises in Irish waters. Okay, I can say that again. You can see me making a a face. (laughs) I have to improve my vocabulary now. So cetaceans are whales and dolphins. Yes, so cetaceans is the collective name for whales, dolphins and porpoises. What's the difference between a dolphin and a porpoise? So are they two different things? They are a little bit different, yeah. <laughs> yes, no, they are. So typically you can break them into whales are bigger, dolphins are a little bit smaller, and porpoises are smaller again. Okay. But they do all have unique different features and yeah. stuff that you can break it up into. But yeah, they're all separate things. And so that's why sharks aren't involved. Sharks are like fish. Yes, exactly. Okay. So whales, dolphins and porpoises are all marine mammals. So they're similar to you and me. Even evolutionary-wise, whales and dolphins are really, interesting because we actually share a lot of the same bones they're just configured a little bit differently and you can see it really clearly it's the same reason why whales and dolphins need to breathe air through their blowhole it's their nostrils whether sharks and fish don't yeah so because they're mammals they have to breathe air so that's why they surface they have to come up I kind of knew this in the back of my mind, but it's nice to talk to an expert and be, have it confirmed and be like, that is right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they have to come up every so often to yeah, breathe. Exactly. So depending on the species, you know, we've got deep diving species that can hold their breath for up to an hour, a little bit more. And then the, the smaller dolphins or even the porpoises can only hold their breath for maybe 10, 15 minutes. So there's a huge diversity and range there. But they all have to breathe air. That's why they're coming up so often. And exactly, yeah. And then around. that allows marine mammal observers like myself and marine mammal ecologists to observe them. Because when they come up to breathe, it gives us a good opportunity to actually observe them and record okay. them. Whether if they didn't do that, it would be much harder to monitor them. You could be out for a whole day going, yes, not, nothing. Not seeing <laughs> yeah. anything. Yeah, it happens. So <laughs> the Irish Island Dolphin Group, you know, we're a charity. And basically our mission is for the better understanding and conservation of these whales, dolphins and porpoises or cetaceans. That are all around our waters here in Ireland. So let's start with one group that I did not know about, the Shannon. There's a big group of dolphins in the Shannon estuary just living there. Yeah, 100%. So they're bottlenose dolphins. And there's actually three different populations of bottlenose dolphins that we know of in Irish waters that are genetically distinct from one another. Right. So one of those is the Shannon population here. And they're found in the Shannon estuary from kind of Kilkee all the way down to Brandon and Tralee Bay. So those are genetically different to a group on the west coast, so around Galway, Mayo. And then we have another group offshore as well. Oh, okay. So when we say the Shannon... How far offshore, yeah. What's offshore? Offshore can be anywhere past 12 nautical miles out to 200. Okay. So they just don't, they're not around our coastal areas. Right. Whether the Shannon population and the west coast conic population would be very coastal. You'd see right. them inshore quite a lot. So that brings us on to sightings. There are two th- kind of things that, there's a lot of things that you do within your group, <laughs> but two things that we'll cover now are sightings and strandings. So the first thing is, is sightings, and that is 
when you see when you, you see, see things one. alive <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. so the Irish Island Dolphin Group we run two main long-standing schemes the sighting and the stranding schemes and these are citizen science projects so actually anybody can get involved which is really cool because Ireland is an island nation you know Nobody is that far away from the coast and everyone has an opportunity to see these species. So if you do see something, especially if you take a photograph, you can report it to us on our website or a free mobile app. Um, basically, then we have a, a sightings officer, Pora Cooley, who validates everything individually. So it's not a computerized system. We go through every record we get and validate it to see what species it is. And what kind of um, what kind of details are you looking for yeah. with sightings? Kind of key things. There's two different types. So we run an effort watch scheme. Maybe trained members that go out, they sit on a headland for a certain amount of time. We normally say 60 to 90 minutes. Okay. They record what they see, even if that's nothing. Nothing, okay. And that gives us a good baseline. And then we have our opportunistic sightings is what we say. So if you were out on a walk or you were kayaking or something and you happen to see a cetacean, then you can equally record that. So there's two different types. There's the opportunistic and then there's the effort watches as well. And so is it worth, like, say, if you were kayaking and you just saw what you thought was a dolphin going past and you didn't get a photo, you didn't get anything, is it still worth saying, I think I saw a dolphin? Oh, yeah. 100% it okay. is. When you're reporting a sighting, we ask lots of different questions. Like, well, first of all, the basic information is where were you? <laughs> what day it was? You know, what was the weather? So was it raining? Was it really windy? What kind of time of the day it was? All of that kind of yeah. basic information. And then we'll ask you the size of the animal that you think you saw, the shape of its head, if you saw the head, Mm. the shape of, did you see a fin? Did you see a tail coming out of the water? Did you see a jump out of the water? You know, it's behavior because when we're validating things, it's not just you saw a dolphin. All of the dolphins do and look differently. You know, they behave a lot differently. So there's behavioral questions there and it's a check the box. So we're asking you the questions and you just fill in which one um, applies best do you know that's really interesting because you might know and even size you know was it uh, one meter was it two meters was it 15 meters do you know what I mean like that's you know we can um, kind of rule out certain species by the answers you're giving so it is really useful even if you don't know what you're seeing we might be able to tell you what you saw right which is the power of it as well because then people can learn you know as a citizen science scheme as well you know everyone can get involved you don't need to be an expert we would rather you send in something i got a video and you know it was a rock breaking and it looked like a whale and you know that happens a lot as well so we would rather you send in the sightings even if you're not sure and be wrong and we can validate it you know than not sending anything in and then we're missing species as well and we're missing coverage so definitely do you know get in touch because you're trying to compile a database exactly yeah so the sighting scheme is running now for nearly 30 years so it's really long term which is really powerful scientifically and because we validate everything that goes into the database we're 100% confident that what we said it was is you know we're not just accepting blanket records it's all validated and if we're not able to validate something to a species level we'll downgrade it and we'll say it was a pattern dolphin species or it was a dolphin or it was a whale so even if we can't get to that species level using the questions um, on the sightings form we can 
break it up right. and get the best. Yeah. So they have a bit so, of information there. Yeah. 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 And that often that is when people start, they see something and then they get in touch with you. And like you see this in wildlife groups or different rescue groups all the time. As soon as somebody has rescued a baby gull or something, they want to join. So that's great. Yeah, for exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant, you know. And so I'm the education and outreach officer. So I do a lot of trainings like species identification workshops teaching people how to do headland watches, how to survey on a boat, all of that kind of thing. Right. So everyone has to start somewhere. Yeah. How did you start? I do you started, remember? <laughs> it was a long time ago. Yes, I started volunteering with the Irish Well and Dolphin Group when I was about 14 or 15. Um, so, you know, I started from the bottom. Like, I'm originally from a sheep farming background. Just for the record, I want everybody yeah. to know Shabelle still looks like she's 14 or 15. <laughs> so just want you to know that. So what was that like last year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, not quite, not quite. Won't she's go at least that. 19 now. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> but no, I started, yeah. uh, you know, my, my background is actually sheep farming. So I, I didn't grow up with a maritime yeah. background at all, but I was always obsessed with the marine environment. And I went whale watching in Cork. Funny enough, I didn't know at the time that you could see things pretty much everywhere. <laughs> so we went to Cork because I knew that there was something in Cork. And it was a horrible day and I got a very brief glimpse of a minky whale. And then that was me hooked. So I was Googling everything, whales and dolphins in Ireland. And the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group came up. And okay. from then I joined as a student, you know, membership yeah. and just tried volunteering, get involved where I could. And then I went on and studied freshwater and marine biology right. in Galway okay. as well. You are obsessed. I yeah. am obsessed, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I've been working as a consultant for about seven years, maybe, okay. um, offshore and, you know, training people and stuff for the last three. So, yeah. And there are actually lots of different ways that you can get involved. You can do watches, you can do courses, you can just, yeah, let's actually, let's talk about the ship and we'll come back to strandings later on then. So this is amazing, is that you guys have a vessel, a boat, the Celtic Mist. Yeah. Yeah. And you do kind of, what would you call it, long? We do dedicated surveys, week-long voyages. Yeah. Voyages and people... Ordinary people can go on these. It blows my mind. I mean, what? Yeah, what yeah. is that like? <laughs> it, it's amazing. And it, you know, I just, when I started volunteering, you know, at a young age, I did the members' cruises for the week long ones as well. And then I was lucky enough um, to meet Dr. Joanne O'Brien, and she was doing uh, dedicated acoustic surveys on bottlenose dolphins and I was lucky enough to join her for a summer on Celtic Mist like it's just amazing the opportunities if someone has the passion and the time to put into something what you can actually get out of it in Ireland is amazing like we are one of the best places in the world to see whales and dolphins and having a research boat Celtic Mist just allows us to do so much more you know so you don't need a background in marine biology to be a member of the Irish Well and Dolphin Group not at all Uh, anyone can get involved and there's lots of different levels like as you said we've got some members who just like to keep up to date on Facebook and get the newsletters and the e-zines and they're like that's lovely and then we've got other people who wanted to get into it for sailing and they just use the Celtic Mist as a sailing opportunity right and then we have you know People with general wildlife interests, people, wildlife photographers, love to see someone coming with a camera. Uh, so there honestly is such a mix from third level students to secondary school students. I run a TY program as well. Um, so we get secondary school kids out, even as young as actually 
we just finished up a two week floating classroom on Celtic Mist for right. national school kids and we had kids as young as six come on to learn about Wales and, and the dolphins. kids are on the on the boat yeah so we're we're docked we don't bring the the kids out sailing okay but they come on, they can explore the boat. Um, I've got lots of skulls and whale ear bones and eyes and fun things so they can learn a little bit about them. Yeah. Right. You may hear some clicking or clacking noises in the background. We were recording in an open office, so that was someone at another desk actually doing some work while we were just having a chat. Also, apologies for my high-pitched squeals of excitement, but you know... This stuff is exciting. And so when you're out um, on a, on a week-long survey, this is a really stupid question, but that's my job <laughs> doing this, is are you are you sleeping on the boat? Yes. Or, yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. So there's eight berths on board. So berth is bunks or, or okay. beds. So how many people can sleep on board? So eight people can sleep on board. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is great. So we go out for uh, a week and we try and go the whole way around Ireland. So... <sighs> Let's say we started off in May in Dublin, in Pool Beg. We started with Floating Classroom. So Floating Classroom was for two weeks. And that's just a and that's just and you're having the kids coming on. Yeah, okay. so we're doing workshops with uh, kids in schools. We sailed from Pool Beg to Malahide all the way around Northern Ireland. And then in between going visiting the schools, we were also surveying for whales and dolphins while we were sail- sailing. Right. So it was kind of multi-use, which is great. It's really good. And then you've got a mix of people on board as well. Yeah. Some would be kind of expert and others are just total beginners. For the floating classroom, it was more experts, facilitators, science communicators, right. as well as Ulster Wildlife. Um, but the the member cruises, that's anybody. It's open to all of the members. Um, and we try and ensure that there's two marine biologists on board for every leg. So we'd have okay. an experienced marine biologist and maybe a student who is trying to build their experience. Right. Okay. And then there's a skipper and a first mate and all of the rest of the spaces are open to members, which is cool. Because you have some videos on your website of, you know, excerpts of trips and yeah. it looks like a lot of people on the boat. So I was like, oh, they can't all be sleeping on the boat. They are. They are. It's really good. Yeah. So it's, I'd say it's quite exciting. It's the real thing. You're out sailing and you're living on the boat. Yeah, it's a, it's a great yeah. experience because you get to experience kind of a life on a boat and sailing and then you're also serving for whales and dolphins so you get this really lovely bond between the crew as well you know everyone's just there because they're passionate about wildlife and you know you cook together you eat together you get into this really lovely routine of living on board um, a boat and serving for whales and dolphins and it's it's just a lovely atmosphere because everyone is there to learn and experience things and even if the weather isn't great for looking for whales and dolphins chances are it's a really good windy day that you can put all the sails up and, and, and sail so I don't think I've ever had a bad experience on board right. yeah. yeah is there uh, certain types of weather that you're more likely to see Whales and dolphins? Oh, 100%. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. What do they like? Did they come up in the sun yeah, or the so rain? No, it, it doesn't really matter if it's sunny or raining. It's the wind that'll affect us. And it's not that the whales and dolphins won't be there if it's windy. It's our chances of seeing them is reduced. So your sightability and your visibility is really important when you're looking for whales and dolphins. And if it's very windy and there's lots of, you know, white caps or spray and stuff, 
your chances of actually seeing them is reduced. So right. we tend to not like windy weather too much okay. <laughs> for seeing stuff. If Sailing is very good, out, you know. If you're trying to see yeah, something. Yeah. Because if the water is still and you're looking for something that's breaking the water. Yeah, exactly. So when you're looking for whales and dolphins, there's a couple of key tips, I suppose, that I could give you. Uh, the first one is if you try and look for birds also. Oh. So the seabirds will often spot fish before we would and where there are fish and birds likely there's going to be some blubber following it so especially (laughs) certain species like if you see lots of diving gannets which are Ireland's uh, largest seabird followed by you know circling manx shearwaters all of that kind of stuff that could indicate that there's a bait ball there okay and a bait ball is a big group of fish and that's being pushed to the surface probably by a big predator like a whale or dolphin or even tuna as well and that's going to you know that's where you get cool amazing mixed species feeding aggregations we call them so you just get like lots of everything happening everything's bubbling at the surface so seabirds are brilliant if it is a little bit choppy waves going the wrong direction are a good cue that it could be a dorsal fin any kind of splashes as well so dolphins in particular like to breach um, where they jump out of the water and you'll get these splashes so if you see those you know keep keep your eye in that yeah. location yeah i saw that on blue planet the whole bait ball yeah. and the fish push the big fish pushing them upwards and the birds coming in the top and it never occurred to me that could be happening out in you know irish waters like it is you know. i mean irish waters you know the waters off of ireland are so productive mm. you know i mean we've got the atlantic ocean here yeah. and even actually the irish sea the celtic sea there's so much happening do you know like it, around Irish waters, there's 26 species of whales, dolphins and porpoises that we've recorded and validated. It's it's amazing. Like, the, that's huge diversity. And that's from the smallest species, like we said, the harbour porpoises, all the way up to really elusive deep diving species like beaked whales that we find in offshore canyon systems and rock all troughs. So there, there is an absolute array of things to see. You know, it is brilliant. People always have this kind of thing in their head that you have to go out on a boat you have to go offshore to see all this amazing stuff but you don't actually a lot of things happen in our coastal waters like even um, now during the summer months and the autumn months we've got the big whales here so fin whales humpback whales and you can see them from land you know you don't have to be on a boat to see a fin whale which is the second largest animal in the world you know we've got members in our local groups in Cork and in Waterford seeing them from a car park parked in their car with their binoculars <laughs> like I mean it's insane you know. I like the sound of that as well as a kind of a fairly easy day out if you don't want to go sailing you can you do meeting up. Exactly yeah. there's something for everyone at all different levels whether you have general interest or you want to get into it as an expert level going offshore surveying. Because we're an all-Ireland group we've started to break the island up a little bit into local groups and that just kind of connects like-minded people together in their local area area. so it makes it easier to share sightings to share strandings if someone is going out to a headland they can put it up into uh, the local group and say look I'm going does anybody want to come and we've got some really experienced members that have been involved for years training up younger members you know in the where to go where not to go where's the best time you know and it becomes this really social aspect then as well of people just enjoying 
nature together, which is really nice. We're in Kilrush at the moment at the Dolphin Centre, but I'm from Galway and I just recently found out that there's a dolphin living in Galway Bay who now has two friends. So tell us about the Galway, Nemo. Yeah, so uh, Nemo is a bottlenose dolphin and he's a bit of an oddball. So (laughs) we've recorded uh, Nemo the, the last several years actually in Galway Bay and it's really funny because for the first couple of years, when he would arrive was nearly timed with the high tide and he would only come really kind of during the summer catching salmon out of the carb and um, so I was hesitant to call him a solitary dolphin a solitary dolphin is bottlenose dolphins normally live in quite intricate family groups okay. and that you know you wouldn't really see them alone but we do get these oddball solitary dolphins so I was hesitant to call him a solitary dolphin for a long time because he was only catching the fish. He didn't seek out any human interaction or anything like that. But actually, he's spending more and more time now around Galway Bay and he's not really following that tidal pattern anymore. So it's interesting. And now he's joined by two friends from the Shannon population as well. And that's amazing because the Shannon population, as we said, are resident. They're here all year round. They don't really tend to venture outside of their range. And we know them very well through photo identification. So in the Shannon, we have a long-term monitoring scheme. And we've been monitoring them now for about 30 years as well. And through photographs, we can track individuals and recognize individuals. So it's not even anymore saying, oh, that's a bottlenose dolphin. We can say that's Nala or that's Sandy Salmon. And that's, you know, that's that one's calf. And this is her mother you know for three generations we can track these dolphins which is amazing and so we got photographs the Galway local group are absolutely fantastic actually Uh, they regularly go out and uh, watch Nimmo and that's also why we can recognize these patterns of his movements because we have people watching him all the time exactly yeah so we can build up this a series of events through time and start to track uh, his movements and what he's doing where he's going but it's really interesting that he's teamed up with these two Shannon dolphins now because you know where did they meet dolphins are so weird like we we know that they were in the Shannon they were here for the last you know how many years and now they're in Galway and it's like you know and it's so funny because a good few years ago now Dusty who would be a solitary dolphin that hangs around Clare actually doesn't associate with the Shannon dolphins really met up with you know a solitary dolphin from I think it was the Maury Firth and then another one from France or somewhere came over and they were on their jolly for going around Ireland absolutely terrorising swimmers it was hilarious but you had these three solitary dolphins team up together uh, go around for a couple of weeks and then head away again. And it was just like so strange because, you know, how did they, how did they, how did they meet? Yeah. And especially because solitary dolphins, you know, they are solitary. We rarely see them hanging out with yeah. with other dolphins. So it's really weird when we see them team up. And, and they have a little bit of a holiday and then they're like, I've had enough. I need Pretty my much. space again, man. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Yeah. But it is through photo identification and the Shannon Dolphin Coordinator, Mags Daly, is an absolute expert in photo identification of the Shannon Dolphins. She just knows them so well from looking at these photos. What kind of features would tell you? So the dorsal fin of a bottlenose dolphin is it's similar to our human fingerprint. They're unique to all of them. So they can be slightly different sizes and shapes, but over time they accumulate these scars and these nicks and these notches because bottlenose dolphins are actually quite aggressive. 
okay. uh, towards one another. And we think they're so cute and friendly. Yeah, <laughs> not really. They're a big, boisterous animal and they do, they're quite aggressive towards one another. But because they're so aggressive, they get these nicks and these notches that are unique. So through these natural markings, we're able to recognize individuals because once they have them, they don't lose them. They can accumulate more over time. So that's why it's also really important that we keep monitoring them year in, year out and getting photographs to update the database because although they can't lose the nicks, they can gain more. So you need to be able to to update your catalog. So when a dolphin has a calf, I, I actually heard somebody downstairs talking about calves. Otherwise, I would have said a pup or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I learned. Um, do you, the calf stays with the mother for a while and then you see them swimming? Yeah, exactly. So the calves will stay with the mothers for actually quite a long time. Okay. You know, they'll stay with the mum for a few years. All right. And then they'll, they'll start to kind of drift apart. And But you do get these really close, intricate family connections. And some dolphins prefer to hang out with some dolphins and some dolphins don't like to hang out together so because the population here in the Shannon is resident and we've been observing them for so long we know their movements and stuff quite well now so we start to see the same individuals hanging out with one another but because the calves will stay with mum for such a long time you know you photograph them when they're calves they won't have markings and then you'll see them swimming with them for a year or two years and then they'll start to move away but by that time they'll, you they'll know start at that point. Yeah, yeah exactly I imagine like anything like somebody looking at a bunch of horses one person said they're all the same somebody who's into horses would be like they're completely different once you get your eye in it's amazing yeah. what you notice yeah. and it's really funny because the Shannon is just such a good example because we've spent so long monitoring them and they're resident but you know you even start to observe different personalities over time like some dolphins are absolute show-offs they will (laughs) approach the boat they will breach they will do everything they're just show-offs and then there's always the the shy ones that will avoid you like there's no tomorrow and those are the guys actually that we want because we have a hundred a million photos of the show-offs we're like no we need the other one uh you know and you start to see these really funny personalities like we have um bob and and john costner actually they're kind of big boisterous males they're bodyguards and they'll they're really protective of the females and the calves so you'll always see these uh big boisterous males looking after the females and then you've got you know other ones that just don't care they'll go away you know so so you've got a, a whole page on the website you open it up and it's all whale tails so is the fluke is that the tail is that yes, called the fluke yeah the tail fluke yeah okay. exactly yes yeah. so we have so there's the the shannon dolphin project Mm -hmm. where we use photo identification for the bottlenose dolphins here in the Shannon but we also have our whale track project which is looking at photo ID of the larger stuff and mainly humpback whales and so we track humpback whales through their tail fluke similarly to the dolphin dorsal fin the underside of the tail in particular is unique to each humpback whale Mm. so they'll have different um, patterns black and white patterns Mm. they'll all form this different um, you know some are predominantly white some are less white some are more black kind of thing it's like a pigment pigmentation kind of thing that's the exact word yeah pigmentation (laughs) and we take photographs but that in itself is actually really tricky because you have to wait for the whale to dive. They'll only raise their tail fluke out of the water when they're going on a deep dive. 
So you actually have a really limited amount of time to get the photo. It's amazing to see a photo like that because you are waiting for that one single moment and then he's gone and you, mm-hmm. well, you didn't And it can be gone yeah. for, you know, 30 minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> And at the same time, you don't want him to die because you're looking at him and you don't go, oh, OK, did you get a photo? Yes, yes. somebody. <laughs> Happy days. Yeah, it's, you know, but again, when I say like you get your eye in whale watching, especially on boats looking at at the large stuff they tend to surface in regular enough patterns so whales will tend to surface three times before going on a deep dive so with the humpbacks let's say in the fin whales you'll get this big blow which is water vapor when they're breathing out of their blowhole after a big dive so you'll get this massive big blow and they'll stay at the surface for you know a couple of seconds a minute and then they'll go on a shallow dive and they'll come up again a slightly smaller blow go down again on a shallow dive come up again and then they'll remain that third time at the surface typically for a few minutes not all of the time but that's a general but obviously the more time you spend around them you're learning all these things I mean I've all in like what last 30 minutes I've learned so much (laughs) just from yeah it's it's really funny you know even to the members who are just starting to get into like headland watches or viewing from boats and you know it could be an hour gone by and they're like oh there's nothing here but when you start to get your eye in you're so focused for those 60 minutes those 90 minutes because it's not by chance you're seeing them you are looking actively for these particular cues yeah that could signal where something is so it it is all about putting in a bit of time and effort obviously if you're walking on the beach and you see lovely dolphins there in front of you happy days I mean that's what we all want that's amazing but you know I'd say all around the coast of Ireland, if you look long enough with patience, you will see something no matter where you are. I love the idea of the effort watching that even if you finish it and you've seen nothing, you can still report it to you and you still feel like, well, I learned that at least. Yeah, and it'd be quite, it can be quite meditative as well. But exactly if you're doing effort watches and even if you don't see anything, once it's in good weather conditions, that's actually just as valuable to us than if you did see something because then we can say, okay, why isn't it there? Or you were watching here, another person was watching over there and they were over there, not by you. So maybe why is that? Was it the food? Was it the tide was on a curtain? You know, a certain, um, like let's say in the Shannon, we know that the dolphins prefer some locations on an ebb tide and other locations on a flood tide. We only learned that over time from people watching at all these different locations and eventually we were able to match up the pattern. But if you're not out there watching, you can never get that information. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Hello. This is Simon. Oh, Simon, I recognise you. Hey. I think it's in the... No, did you... Meg just said like a bird tracker date on it. I don't know if I got a file from it. It, we had it on the sticky note. So. At this point, I voted we go downstairs to see the exhibits area of the Dolphin Centre. We'll return later to the topics of strandings and the Fair Seas campaign. But first, let's talk anatomy. So here we are in the, it's called the Dolphin Centre? The Shannon Dolphin Centre. Shannon Dolphin Centre, okay. And you walk straight in and first thing you see is pictures and skeletons so i'm in heaven here and we actually just rejuvenated the dolphin center so i got new displays thanks to a community heritage grant with the heritage council so it's actually a bit new um if anybody would like to come and visit us we've got new displays which i'll talk you through now 
when you walk straight into the Dolphin Centre, you straight away see these three skeletons hanging up with... Uh, and these are real skeletons, they're these not... They're all real. Yeah. They're all real that we've put together. And I'd just like to show you, this is a pygmy sperm whale. And it's a fully articulated skeleton. So all of the bones are here. And it's really, really rare. Pygmy sperm whales are a deep diving species. We've never recorded them live in Irish waters. Only through our stranding scheme do we know that they're here which is really cool. And actually earlier this year in 2022, we also identified through our stranding scheme a dwarf sperm whale. And they look remarkably similar, but we took a skin sample for genetics and we found out that we also have dwarf sperm whales and pygmy sperm whales. So this is really, really cool. This skeleton is really rare to have a full specimen of the species because they're so elusive. It's really hard to see them. Because they're really deep diving, so they can hold their breath for a long time. So I can show you here. When we're looking at skeletons and dead things, some really good ways to identify them are from the skulls. So different species will have different shapes and different size skulls and also different teeth. And we have uh, lots of lovely skulls. Yeah. The teeth, the shape and the size is a really good way to identify dolphin bones to species level because you can even see with the pygmy sperm whale's teeth they're very long and they're very sharp if we look here at the harbour porpoise which is ireland's smallest cetacean species they yeah we call it a spatula tooth he's got real vampire sharp teeth yeah they're yeah little nubbins that he's just like chewing with that's amazing yeah so even from these two species and you can even see that the harbour porpoise skull is much much smaller he's got a kind of cranial cow his head part is bigger exactly and that's because the harbour porpoise is a coastal species that doesn't really dive that deep the pygmy sperm whale and the deep divers their skulls tend to be a lot thicker because they you know they have to withstand the pressure of diving and they have a lot more kind of this fatty lipid in their head as well, which is really cool. But yeah, you can see from the teeth, just the shape of them, that spatula shape is unique to a harbour porpoise. So if you ever see a bit of a skull on a beach and they've got teeth like that, you straight away know it's a harbour porpoise. Yeah, I'll, um, these two skulls now I'll show you. This is some of my favourites. So, so common dolphins are a really pretty patterned dolphin and they're probably one of the most beautiful dolphins I think actually they're gorgeous and, and then they're given a name like common dolphin I know gorgeous, and you're like ah gorgeous yeah dolphin. gorgeous dolphins <laughs> they are they're lovely and they're very similar in shape and size to striped dolphins which are also a pattern dolphin in Ireland and just as they're a really fascinating species to look at when they're alive and swimming around they also have beautiful skulls and I, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes I also love skeletons and, and dead things so they are very similar shape, very similar size. Their teeth are small and pointy, and they have the same number of teeth in their jaws. So if you were to see a common dolphin and a striped dolphin dead on a beach, and the skin maybe has been scavenged so you can't make out what it is, a really cool way to tell them apart is the common dolphin on the upper side of the jaw has this groove, and you can put your finger into it if you're wearing gloves or with a stick the striped dolphin the roof of the mouth of a striped dolphin is completely smooth and flat and you can actually feel that that's on the so, upper palate exactly so the the skull and then you have 
this kind of long rostrum or, or beak and two holes for the blowhole. That's their nose, their nostrils. Okay. That's, so. Is that the nostrils? That's yeah. the where the blowhole comes out. Exactly. Right. I'm just looking at the all you see all the dolphins, and then there's one here, and I was like, "What is that? And it's a seal." Of yeah, <laughs> we have a common seal, a grey seal, and also a cow skull here. What a brilliant idea for comparison to size. It, like you would never you'd say that's some kind of bull whale or something yeah it's a, it's a cow i know and it does throw people but the reason we have the seals and the the cows you know of their mammals so the seal is interesting because they live you know they haul out on land but they do spend most of their time hunting and swimming around the sea but dolphins are purely marine mammals so with their noses you can see that the um, the nose of a marine mammal like a dolphin is at the very top of their head and that's to help them breathe. So they don't have to be laboured when they come up to breathe. If you can picture yourself swimming, you have to lift your head out of the water or you have to turn sideways to breathe. So their nose through evolution has moved to the very top of their head. So they just need to pop up because seals still spend quite a lot of the time hauled out on land their nose is more towards the front and it's the same with the cow as well so you can see they're just the evolution from kind of terrestrial in the water seals to purely aquatic dolphin even though we don't have nostrils on top of our heads we do share physical similarities with dolphins you know really cool thing about dolphin bones when we were talking about evolution there is they have a lot of the same bones that we do. So we're mammals, so they're same, same, but different. They've just adapted to life in water and to make it easier and more streamlined to swim. Their flippers, their pectoral fins, which are the guys on the side of the body, Mm -hmm. actually have the same bones as we do in our arms and our hands. These are like little wrist bones that we have here. Yeah, so we have the exact same bones they're just configured differently that's their their scapula this would be their kind of shoulder and then their radius and ulnus their arm bones have shortened into the pectoral fin where their eyes are quite long but their fingers their finger bones their phalanges have become longer than ours so that's almost like a humorous tiny little humorous exactly the forearms and then these and they also have so they were on land you know donkeys donkeys years ago and when they moved full-time into the water they didn't need their back legs anymore and actually it was cumbersome to swim with them so they they lost them but here are the are the hind like limbs they're hind limbs. yes they're so they're kind of embedded in the wall but they don't do anything amazing. but the bones are still left over from when they actually so were on land that's their legs just shrunk up shrunk up and yeah still kind of there we might need them someday if we end yeah. up on land again so we can grow them but yeah. yeah do you know but it's wow. so it's it's you know similar to a human appendix they're there they don't do anything they just float they're around just yeah and you know and their vertebrae all look the same as humans yeah the same kind of spinal process and everything exactly they've just changed to be able to swim mm-hmm. and that actually comes from i can show you dolphins and whales apart from river dolphins, cannot turn their heads and they also can't swim backwards. And that's because the first vertebrae are fused together and that allows them to propel themselves forward. So when they lift their head, the whole thing goes forward, yeah. 
Yeah. You can lift your head but not move. Yeah. But when a dolphin lifts it, its head, it's you know, its cold. tail yeah, will... Does. Exactly. Oh. And then that's how you get your propulsion. Yeah. We can learn so, so much from, you know, the stranding scheme and from skeletons yes. and dead things. Yeah. You know, even if I can turn your attention to this cabinet. Mm-hmm. So this is my teeth display, <laughs> which I love. Oh. These are all examples of teeth. And their teeth are markedly different and that's because whales and dolphins are hugely diverse and they feed on lots and lots of different things depending on right. what um, habitat they, they live in. So sperm whales, um, which is this really big tooth here, they feed on deep sea squid um, but they actually don't really chew. They'll grab them and suck them in okay. is what we think. So, but they have these massive teeth compared to a tooth of a bottlenose dolphin or common dolphins, which are, are quite small yeah, and, and numerous. And is exactly. this, these, is this the baleen? Exactly. So these are baleen plates. Baleen is actually made from keratin, which is the same material as our hair and nails. And yes, that's what it looks like. Very, very overgrown nails. Very overgrown <laughs> nails. You can. It's quite hard. Oh, yeah, I, I thought it was more kind of feathery. You think it's all soft? That's quite hard. Yeah, baleen whales. So your large whales, your minke whales, your humpback whales, fin whales, up to blue whales, which are the largest animal on the planet, will have these hanging from the upper jaw of the mouth, down like a curtain, and they've got these throat grooves on their lower jaw that basically allow their lower jaw to expand like a massive balloon and take in lots and lots of water. So when they take in a big gulp of water, those throat grooves can expand and then using their tongue, they'll actually push that excess water out through the baleen and it acts like a filter. So they're a type of filter feeder really. And then all of the tiny krill, small forage fish like sprat, for example, will get stuck in the hair like bristles. And then using their tongue, they'll actually lick the inside of their mouths. And that's how they feed. Yeah. Yeah. The dolphins (laughs) will kind of use their teeth to catch their prey, um, flip it about, you know. But yeah, it's it's really kind of with the dolphins, it's catching down the hatch. Catching down the hatch. Let's go to the big. So we're going outside now. Yeah. Oh, so wow. with the, the Heritage Grant, actually, it's brilliant because bones, you know, are, are natural. They will eventually start to decay. And a lot of our whale bones outside were starting to degrade and get broken down. So with the Heritage Grant, we were able to build this lean-to that will protect them from the rain. So I actually spent the summer scrubbing a lot of these bones with, with a toothbrush to, to clean them and, and restore them. They're sparkly. <laughs> they're, they're a lot cleaner now. So I keep turning around and I see something I think is a bench and it's a head. It's a- Loads of people think that the whale bones are actually pieces of wood. This is a sperm whale skull. So sperm whales are again a really deep diving species. And you can just see like the sheer size as well. I mean, it's about the, you know, the length of me. I'm five, 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 six. So and the blowholes, so the nostrils at the at the top of the head are unique of a sperm whale. They've got one large hole and one smaller hole. Right. If you were to see them swimming offshore, the blow of a sperm whale will always go to the left. Oh, okay. And that's due to this uh, size difference. So it's a really good diagnostic feature. Just a little side note, killer whales, they're dolphins? Yes, 
Yeah, killer whales, they're, they're the largest of the dolphin family. They're also the fastest of the dolphin family, okay. which is really cool. But the thing that will throw people all of the time, so we have killer whales, we have sperm whales, we have pilot whales. They all have true teeth. Right. So they're all odontous teeth. So while yeah. a killer whale is actually a dolphin, yeah. and it's the largest of the dolphin family, mm. a sperm whale is the largest odontous teeth. Okay. And is also not really a whale. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it does kind of make sense. When you look at an orca, they don't they don't look whaley, they look more playful. More I know dolphin-y. they're quite yeah. <laughs> they look more dolphin y. There, there's yeah. lots of really yeah, cool That's from cool a really amateur point of view. Yeah. yeah, no, there's loads of really cool differences of why a whale is a whale and why yeah. a dolphin is a dolphin, or similarly why a porpoise is a porpoise. And it all kind of goes into taxonomy taxonomy and taxonomy is is quite a niche area of science where where people really interrogate why one thing is related to another and what that means so yeah we won't get into that we would please don't get into taxonomy no one impressive exhibit is the full spine of a fin whale which curves around two sides of the outdoor area these are the vertebrae of fin whale. Um, fin whale is the second largest animal in the whole world. We're really lucky to have them in Irish waters. They come here on their migrations to feed. And you can see them in coastal waters. So we get a lot of people actually seeing these guys from headlands. Okay. Don't need to go on about. They're one right. of the really cool species. And because they're so big as well. And Each of those vertebrae is about the size of, I guess it's the size of a small stool. Yeah. A bunch of them together. It's just going all the way along the wall of the the center and around the corner and it's um, it stays going and here um are they heavy is it heavy to they, lift one of those no not really a or little, is it light because you know, it's bone it's bone so i mean it's it's heavy enough just due to the size of them you, it's not, you would it looks like cement you think it would be impossible weight. to lift yeah, yeah. this what um is so loads of people always think it's a plank of wood but it's actually mm. the lower jaw <gasps> of a fin whale I mean, the both of us could lie we flat could inside, both it. Lie down yeah. inside it. Yeah. Man, he'd have both of us for dinner. That'd yeah. Just gone. This here is the skull. It's kind of broken off a little bit, <laughs> but size comparison. This is a minke whale. I know he's so Which, cute. He's like a little cat next yeah. to him. We can. So the fin whale has to stay on the floor because I wasn't mm. able to get a bench big enough yeah. to hold it or strong enough to hold it. Whether our little minke whale um, is the smallest of the baleen species we have in Irish waters he can stay on the the it's a very interesting skull it's kind of round I mean I, I made a comparison to a cat but that wasn't far off it's the same kind of round and broad yeah Are these eye holes yeah, no be. the eyes are kind of more towards the side okay. yeah yeah straight no, ahead no whales have eyes out there yeah. wow yeah so we also have just our dolphin doodle dolphin boards and the whaling wall uh for for <laughs> kids so we have Lots of colouring things and tactile touch boards for, for people as well to kind of immerse yeah, themselves. You can immerse <laughs> yourself totally. It is a really clean and well laid out exhibit. Like somebody obviously went through these bones with a toothbrush. And <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it, it was brilliant to get the Heritage Grant because um, we have such a fantastic collection of whale bones. Um, but they were starting to degrade so I, I went through all of the bones and during the summer when the centre was closed because of Covid we also have a really it's probably one of my favourite artefacts is our collection of dolphin and whale ear bones I love it because so many people always think 
dolphins don't have ears because yeah. you know they don't have ear lobes okay. um their ears are located in underneath the base of the skull okay. um so if we get a stranding or a mass stranding of a big whale let's say a deep right. diving species if you're able to extract the ear bone and we can fix it in a, in a formalin fast enough we can look at these tiny internal hairs of the ear and we can tell exactly what frequency of noise damaged the ear and then you can relate it back to things like you know active sonar. Next we move to the topic of strandings. Live strandings are the ones that get press coverage and great public interest and like many people I assumed that the priority in these cases is to rush over and get the creature back in the water as soon as possible. But this is not always the best action as Shabelle will explain. Live strandings are in the minority most strandings are of dead cetaceans, but these are of equal importance to the group. So similarly to the sighting scheme, the stranding scheme is also a long-term citizen science project. And there's kind of different types of strandings. So we do have the live strandings, which means something has come ashore and it, it is alive. And then there's strandings of dead things. So the group, we validate and run the official strandings database for Ireland and we liaise with the National Parks and Wildlife Service okay. and the local authorities and everything to maintain that database. Right. The dead side of things is record keeping. We need to get pictures of them, species, how long the you know the carcass is. So that's a good opportunity at least to take photos and get some data. It is and it's really informative with pictures because we can again tell you know species, we can tell uh, usually if it's an adult, subadult, juvenile, if it's quite a fresh carcass get insight into was it emaciated, was it well fed, all of that even before mm. doing like a post-mortem yeah. or, or a necropsy. We can also look at fine details with good pictures from lots of different angles to see were there any big lesions on it or are there signs of entanglement in fishing rope and all of that kind of thing. Mm. Pictures can tell us a lot. So with the dead cetaceans we get in these pictures, these records Again, we validate them and we can build up a picture of what's going on. So let's say from 2011, we started to notice a massive increase in common dolphin strandings. So because the stranding scheme has been running for a good 30 years, we now have a good baseline of what's normal, what's not normal. Right. And we can identify these unusual mortality events, okay. which in 2011, we started to see a very significant increase in common dolphin strandings in the winter months. And we're still learning why this is. And we do think a little bit of it is to do with climate change. So common dolphins are a pelagic species. They typically would be a little bit further offshore. Okay. But in the last number of years with climate change and the change in distribution of their prey, they're coming more inshore. Okay. So a little bit of it is that there's more common dolphins, first of all, in our coastal waters. Okay. So the more you have, the more you're going to get from natural mortality anyway. But also fishing entanglement and bycatch is an issue with this yeah. particular species. And it's because common dolphins feed on the same prey that trawlers are trying to catch. So right. you get that overlap and that okay. has been an issue with that species. Right. Um, only so in you've certain got the net picks up... Just to kind of explain bycatch, the net picks up the fish and yeah. the dolphin is in there. And then the fishermen kind of yoink out the dolphin and then yeah. throw them back in and the dolphin might be injured. Yeah. So bycatch is the accidental 
catch of you know whale a dolphin even turtles seabirds they can all be accidentally caught in fishing gear so it's I've never met any fisher who goes out and wants to catch one you know and and they're always upset when they do but it does happen so trawlers in particular don't have a traffic light system they don't say fish come in green light dolphin no you can't they have the trawl open and they're scooping up the fish and if you get common dolphins feeding on the same thing that the fishers are trying to catch sometimes you get dolphins also getting caught up in it now unfortunately when that happens they will cut the dolphin out of the net and the easiest way to get a dolphin out of it out of a net is to cut the appendages off which are the fins or the tail or sometimes you get them you know we see dolphins with broken beaks broken backs washing up and that's where they've cut the dolphin out of a net and it lands straight down on the deck so that's the thing with strandings is sometimes the dolphin is sick or injured and he's kind of coming on shore to because he can't because just what you said earlier on, they have to come up to breathe. Yes. So he might be having trouble and then he comes on and he's like taking a break or exactly, trying, to, yes. trying to get so a relief. That kind of goes into the, the live strandings, which mm-hmm. is more a welfare issue. Um, with the Irish Wellness Dolphin Group membership, we run these trainings, um, live stranding courses. So we will train members up in how to assess an animal's body condition how to stabilize them and give basically dolphin first aid. Yeah. And then after you assess the body condition, if they look healthy, they're good to go. We also teach you how to put them back into the water safely. But it absolutely is not a case where if you see a dolphin on a beach or a whale, you go over and try and try throw it back in. in. Yeah. Yes, no. Um, because there's lots and lots and lots of different reasons why a dolphin or a whale can strand. It could be that they are perfectly healthy. They're hunting fish and get caught out on a tide. And we see that happen a lot in Kerry in particular and sometimes in Mayo because a lot of the bays there are very tidal. So they get caught out. So we, you know, eight times out of ten know if there's a common dolphin live stranding there, it's got caught out in the tide, it's probably fine. But you still need to check that it's breathing okay. It's not overly stressed. It, is it really thin? Is it bleeding? Or is there anything yeah. oozing out of it that could indicate that it's sick, you know? And if there are, there's different steps to follow of can we call a vet? Can we make this animal as comfortable as possible with palliative care, you know? Because sometimes... It might be more cruel to try and put them back in yeah, the water. Yeah, especially if it's a sick animal mm-hmm. and it's really stressed even knowing the skills in how to make that animal more comfortable because it's in a foreign environment if you think about it when it's on land it's like what's going on so that's what the live stranding network why it's really important to actually take a step back sometimes and think okay why is this animal here where are we did it get caught out on the tide is it healthy if it's healthy what's the best place to refloat it is it actually at the same location or should we move it you know and then if you're taking a step back and you're like oh it's not doing well then you know you need to ask yourself okay what why is that animal here because they breathe air because they're mammals if they're sick breathing can become labored Mm. So they will move into shallower water. So it's not as much effort to keep returning to the surface. So 
and then they get caught yeah exactly yeah Yeah, you wouldn't do it with a a cat or a dog or a rabbit or anything they're kind of really sick and they're like oh off you go go on yeah exactly but you know what about their environment it is that uh, human instinct to be like just put it back in the water and it, it stems from a lot of people think that whales and dolphins are fish not that's mammals. where I was coming from yeah. yeah and you think it needs to be in the water to survive yeah. but actually it doesn't you know in actually if a dolphin is sick the quickest way you're going to actually kill it is it'll drown put it back if you put it, put it back in in the book animal madness Laurel Brakeman discusses this topic saying that the beach may be acting as a life jacket holding them up to breathe She writes that one responder described it to her like this. Imagine that you were trying to cross a freeway and you got hit by a bus, but you were able to drag yourself to the side of the road to rest. Would you want someone to come by and drag you back onto the freeway? So if you do happen to find a live stranded cetacean, the best thing is don't crowd the animal and do call the whale and dolphin group. Finally, to wrap up, We talked about the Fair Seas campaign. Fair Seas is a new campaign. There's eight NGOs and marine organisations involved. So it's the first of its kind actually in Ireland. Never before have all of the leading marine NGOs worked together on a campaign like this. So it's really exciting. And basically our goal is we're asking the government to fulfil their legal obligations of marine protected areas. So at the moment, there's only 2% of our maritime area designated as a marine protected area. We are signed up to have designate and protect with management plans in place 30% of our marine area by 2030. So 30 by 30. 30 by 30. Mm. So that's kind of what the campaign is re- really doing. We, we seek to protect, conserve and restore Ireland's unique maritime environment. And it's really, really exciting. We just launched a new report, Revitalising Our Seas, that identifies areas of interest for these marine protected areas. So out of the eight groups involved in the campaign, Birdwatch Ireland, the Irish Well and Dolphin Group and the Irish Wildlife Trust compiled all of the best available scientific data from you know, the large megafauna, whales, dolphins, seabirds, down to corals, seagrasses, absolutely everything in between. And we mapped it all to identify hotspot areas of importance in Irish waters for biodiversity. And we came to the conclusion, based on the best available scientific data, that there's 16 areas that require, you know, immediate protection or that we would love to see protected with meaningful management plans. Because obviously, you know, everywhere it is great, but these 16 areas are biodiversity hotspots. That's terrific. Which you've identified. I mean, that's yeah. a huge amount of work. You know, there are a lot of gaps in some of the data. So the methodology we used, you know, we, we only took species that we had good data for. Yeah. And we acknowledge that there are some data gaps that we would like to be filled yeah. by the government. So Fair Seas is asking the government to fill its obligations of 30 by 30. Uh, We've compiled this report identifying 16 different areas that they could use to build the network. But at the end of the day, the campaign is there to hold the government accountable as well. Because NGOs like the Irish Wildlife Dolphin Group or Birdwatch Ireland, the Irish Wildlife Trust, 
we can't designate marine protected areas Mm -hmm. and we can't enforce them or make a management plan. The government must do that. So this is really just kind of holding it up to them saying, you know, And what do you mean by a management plan? What would that involve? So a management plan, at the moment, um, there's, you know, 2% of our maritime area is protected. The Shannon Estuary would be one. It's an SAC for bottlenose dolphins and other uh, organisms. But really, there's no meaningful management plan. So what it, it means is it's a paper park. On a map, there's lines drawn around a box saying that's protected. But what's being done to protect it from what? How is it actually being enforced, do you know? Um, so the Shannon is actually quite, it's the the only good example and because industry are very good and they work with us to make sure the dolphins are okay, like reducing the speed and trying to regulate noise pollution as much as possible. But in other areas, let's say between Galway and Mayo, there's the West Coast Connacht population there. That's an SAC for bottlenose dolphins also. There's nothing. If you asked a lot of the locals, they wouldn't even know it's a marine protected area. And that's not their fault. It's because the government have not had meaningful public engagement with any of the stakeholders. Nobody knows what they actually mean. You know, what are you allowed to do? What are you not allowed to do in a marine protected area? And the government have to be the people who decide on that and communicate it properly. So fair seas are asking for that to be done and for it to be done properly in an inclusive way. You know, Ireland is an island nation. No one is that far away from the coast. But I think for the last number of years, people have been quite removed from the sea. It's so funny, like even our capital, you know, Dublin, is a biodiversity hotspot. And it's it's one of the best places to see harbour porpoise, our smallest cetacean. And that's like right in the middle of the city. Do you know, you can see dolphins from Bull Island or down by the docks like you don't have to go out on a boat. That's so unique. And if people just um, started noticing nature a little bit and, and wanted to join a movement of ocean stewardship, they can. They can. That's a good. Check Come us on out in. online. Simon so has coffee. You. I'm going to say that I suppose the basic thing people could do to help you is to um, membership. 100%. Yeah, for anybody who wants to get involved, you know, check us out online, become members. We're on all of the social media platforms also that you can keep up to date. Members do get certain perks. They but, do, yeah, yes. Like sailing on Celtic Mist. And, you know, the mission statement of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group is to raise the better understanding of cetaceans in Irish waters and conservation through education and research. So by becoming a member by learning about them, by telling somebody else about whales and dolphins, you know, by making a podcast about whales and dolphins, uh, you are furthering our mission of, you know, I just want everyone to become a whale nerd. Whale nerd. <laughs> yeah, that is wonderful. Shabelle, thank you so much. No worries. I really enjoyed that. I could stay all day. Um, <laughs> I could talk all day about whales and dolphins. But somebody, so somebody's bringing in coffee now, so I think that's signaling. Yeah. <laughs> coffee time. Time to go. Okay. And the biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.